0: Good morning. My name is R. Dallas Green. Welcome to Grace. Glad you're here. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians 8. Let's start. It says, Now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given to the Macedonian churches. First thing I want to say to you is that when God gives vision, that vision paints a picture of where we are going. God-given vision always paints a picture of the future, of where we're going together. Paul was an evangelist and a church planter. He was called to proclaim the gospel where the gospel had not been heard. So he took the gospel into this place called Macedonia. And I can identify with his vision because I was 21 years old when I first heard the gospel of Jesus. You know, the largest group now in America concerning religious affiliation are those with no affiliation. They're so-called nuns, the N-O-N-E-S, the nuns. They have basically no affiliation with any faith. I was talking this week with a young woman, and we were talking about her wedding plans, about her fiancé. She called me, and I began addressing the whole process of getting ready to get married, you know, pre-marriage counseling. And she said her fiancé wanted nothing to do with Christianity. He is a professing atheist. And I began thinking about how he and she could be reached for the gospel, about why he has become so oppositional to Christianity. It's clear to me that they're not coming to us. We're going to be going to them. We will need to incarnate the gospel To be good news in these people's lives before they'll ever hear the good news we're going to need to live out our faith in front of them not only proclaiming the gospel but also demonstrating the love of god getting to know them a little bit you know knowing their story you know where they're coming from and uh, not as much correcting them and their lifestyle as much as connecting them to jesus you know god has given us a vision here we want to reach people from all over the world, equipping them and sending them out as disciple makers. You do know that God is sending us the nations. You do see the diversity happening in our area of all the different nations that are coming here. Well, our focus is upon making disciples of these people, of the nations. Our focus is on equipping. We'll get to an equipping thing a little bit. But every Thursday morning, our small group leaders meet at Zippany, just off of Thomas Johnson Drive, and, uh, you know, we've gotten there a few weeks, so we've gotten to know their staff, and Chris, he's been there the longest, so we get to know each other pretty well. He knows how I like my coffee and how I like my bagel. He knows I'm not eating bagels right now in my life, but uh, I'll ask him, I'll say, hey, Chris, you know, how's it going? How's your family? You know? Tell me how I can pray for you. And so we'll have this conversation, Chris and I, early in the morning. You know, you get your coffee somewhere, don't you? Somewhere you get your coffee. Could be for someone's Keurig or somewhere. You know, from Starbucks. Some of you go to Starbucks and get coffee. And yes, Dunkin' Donuts, I see the cup. Uh, some of you go to High's. You know, there's sort of highbrow and lowbrow coffee. And there's sort of Baltimore coffee and tea. There's coffee there and Dunkin' Donuts and... You know, there's Maine Cup and Dempsey's, and for you Brunswick people, beans in the belfry. But you know, if you go often enough, you'll see the people in your um, coffee place. The person behind the counter will be there again and again. I want to engage, I want you to engage that person in conversation. You know, take an interest in them just a little bit. You know, get to know their name. I believe we can win our city one barista at a time. because you're gonna get some coffee, you might as well be on mission while you're having coffee, right? This week prompted a great opportunity, a huge opportunity for us. You know, Many of you know that Rhonda Nehusen went home to be with the Lord. There was a viewing here on Thursday night and then a service on Friday morning and a meal afterward. Rhonda worked as a emergency room nurse for 20 years at FMH and then at the imaging center. So I talked to at least 10 nurses who came just to pay their respects. Some of them were women of faith who knew all about Rhonda's faith. Some of them were very curious about Rhonda's hope and her faith and her joy and her peace. How did God give her peace through all these trials? Well, God was living inside of her she was surrounding herself with scripture. You see, Rhonda lived her life on mission She surrounded herself with scripture and she was a profound influence in her life. You say, I don't know how to have these conversations, Pastor R. Well, we want to model this to you and equip you to be effective in sharing your faith. We want to send you out of here on mission. You know, we gather every Sunday to have our hearts warm toward God, to be with God's people. But then we scatter through the week, right? God scatters you all over this city to be an influence for Christ, to be on mission for him. You see, the more missional we become, we'll see God begin opening up doors. He's going to give us opportunities and burdens for people. And one uh, area where God seems to be working is at Waverly Elementary School. You know, we have people that work down at Waverly, and Karen and her team have been ministering at Wavery, Waverly for sometime now after school, Good News Club, and they love us at Waverly. They cheer when we come. So we're going to go back down there on June the 3rd, which is not this coming Saturday, but the following Saturday, to do a food drop. And we we want to invite the children at Waverly to our Vacation Bible School. And we have arranged transportation. Yes, we have a borrowed bus, and we're going to offer scholarships. We're going to try to bring as many kids up from Waverly as we can for our VBS because we're trying to take the church out on mission, to be on mission for God. So let me paint you a picture of where we're going. I see a church, and you are the church, right? Church is not an event, it's not a building, it's the body of believers, right? We don't come to church, we are the church. I see a church of highly energized, passionate people pointing other people to Jesus. I see us incarnating to our city. I see us being for our city, praying over our city, coming together, you know, on our Sundays for our gathering, but also scattering to the city to manifest the presence of Jesus. You see, when Jesus was here, he was the visible presence of the invisible God. And now Jesus has gone to heaven. And so he has sent his spirit, and his spirit lives inside of us. And we now are the visible presence of the invisible God. We are his hands and feet, and God wants to send us out on mission. So when you're being sent from here, when you leave this place, you're leaving your mission field, right? Leaving to your, go to your mission field. Your mission field may be your family, or it may be your neighborhood, Or it may be the people you work beside. But God will send you out of here to be on mission. We want to reach people. In this county, there are 230,000 people living here. And my estimate is about 9% of them are believers. Now, we soon will have two churches in two zip codes, you know, here and over in Brunswick. And Brunswick just had a block party where they invited people to come, and about 70 people came. So it's exciting to see the church, you know, building this contacts with people, becoming missional. But what would happen, brothers and sisters, if we viewed ourselves as servants of the living God, as being missional, of seeing ourselves as servants at our work, I mean, doing our work well with a good attitude? Staying alert to doors that God is opening. Intentionally pursuing people. Being missional in our neighborhoods, you know. Being friendly to people. This is the time when people come out to work on their gardens and cut the grass. You know, walk the dog. Noticing these little kids on bicycles. My neighborhood's recycling. There's another generation living in my neighborhood now. And they've all got little bikes. Well, look for opportunities, you know, to connect with your neighbors. See, our our vision has to do with this missional perspective. This last week was an outreach night for the youth. And there was a dunk tank here, and Pastor Eric taunted people, and they dunked him. And uh, there's a moon bounce, and there was a food truck, and there was 80-some people that were here, and Abby shared the gospel. And, you know, our vision is to reach people, you see, And the people whom we reach we want to equip equip to be effective and then when it's time to leave we want to send that person out to be missional secondly the grace of giving to vision when a church has a very clear vision like ours the the grace of giving to vision is a gift from god look at that first verse in second corinthians now i want you to know about the grace about the generosity that God has given to the Macedonian churches. Paul had a vision from God for Macedonia. He was in a little town called Troas, and in the nighttime, Acts 16, God appeared to him, a vision appeared to him, a man of Macedonia, standing and pleading, saying, come over and help us. And immediately after receiving that vision, Paul and his team went over to the region of Macedonia. And there they came to the first city known as Philippi. You'll find this in Acts chapter 16, verse 13. And there was a woman there whose name was Lydia. And she was a dealer in purple fabric from the town of Thyatira. And Paul left the city gate and went out to the river. And there beside the river, he began to speak to Lydia. He proclaimed the gospel. And her heart opened up to God. She began to believe the gospel. And she... Opened her, God opened her heart, and then she opened her home. And a little bit of gospel humor is that, that Paul, you know, is traveling. He doesn't have a place to stay. And she says, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, you know, come to my house where there's plenty of food, right? There's a, a bed to sleep. And Paul said, she persuaded us. You don't find that funny, but I think that's pretty funny that she they had nothing, and she persuaded us to stay at her house. So what happened is this spirit of generosity, see, she began to open up her home and share with these traveling missionaries. And there was a guy there, he was a jailer, and he said, what must I do to be saved? And Paul said, you have to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved. And that very night, the jailer believed in Jesus, and he was saved, and he was baptized, and he washed the apostle Paul's wounds, and then he set a meal in front of him he began to be generous with this man who'd come to proclaim the gospel one evidence of the grace of god being active in our life is generosity god gave them grace to be generous in our vision to become reality god must move in people's hearts and there was a strong movement of God's spirit upon this church to become generous, you see. The grace of God was upon them. Paul, in instructing them, said, I want you on the first day of the week to set aside some of your money and give that money to God. You know, most people find that the easiest way to give now is to go to the app store and download the app PushPay. And go into the PushPay app and search for Grace Community Church of Frederick and set up your name and information and determine the amount you want to give. You can give one time or recurring. Pastor Eric has set up his gifts as recurring on the first and 15th days of the month. So he says, so I don't have the option not to give. You know, knowing we won't always be here, right? There will be Sundays when we miss, Wouldn't it be awesome to make this first? Put the Lord first and automate our giving. Many of us have direct deposit. You know, our money comes into our account. Wouldn't it be awesome to have that automated as well so you don't have to think about it? So, next thing I want to say is that poverty does not prevent generosity. Look at verse 2. That out of their most severe trial... Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. These givers were not wealthy. Many of them were actually quite poor. Rome had exploited the region of Macedonia, taking from them their timber and their natural resources. And there also was persecution upon the church. Rome had made Christianity illegal. And they were poor. And they had heard about these people who were poorer than themselves. They heard about the Christians living in Jerusalem who were in dire straits. They didn't have food to eat. So these poor believers in Macedonia gave generously. The poor gave to the poorer. Their poverty did not prevent them from being generous. You know, as you know, We send teams down to Haiti. And when I'm down in Haiti, I'm not known as Pastor R. I'm known as Pastor Mango. Actually, in Creole, it's neg-mangoa, meaning mango man. Sounds kind of manly, doesn't it? Mango man. Well, they know I love mangoes. And so when I'm down there, sometimes it's like mango harvest. And the team went down right in the season of modern Francique mangoes being harvested in Haiti, which is the world's best mango for you mango lovers. And when the team came back, they came back with four mangoes wrapped in aluminum foil. They said, here are some mangoes. Now, these are poor people giving their very best mangoes to the mango man. You see, their poverty didn't keep them from being generous. We have this great desire And we're not a rich church. We have this great desire to build a school down in Haiti. There's kids there who've come out of slavery. There's kids that are vulnerable to be taken into sex slavery. But yet if they have an education and a vocation, some way to provide for their families, the whole equation begins to change. So we've been talking to the pastors and the leaders. We've been you know, sending teams down, helping the farmers to get up to speed with their coffee. But now we want to take that another level and build a school. I think God has put that in our hearts. Fourth, generosity looks at giving as more of a privilege than an obligation. Look at um, verse three. For I can testify to you, this is Paul's own testimony, that they gave as much as they were able. Are you giving as much as you are able? I can testify to you that they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability. You see, why do we give? We give because there's a need, right? We give because it makes someone's life better. They must have heard of this need and figured out what they could afford to give, and they gave more than they could afford. There's so many reasons why we don't give, right? I mean, you probably can think of a few. Right? I've got debt, you know. I owe, I owe, so it's off to work I go. I've got kids that are, you know, someday going to be in college. Someday have to look at retirement. Right? There's all kinds of reasons why we don't give. And what's interesting about this is, <laughs> they pleaded with the opportunity to share in this service to the saints. Somebody wasn't pleading with them to give. They were pleading with the Apostle Paul to give. They voluntarily, sacrificially, enthusiastically pleaded with the privilege to share. You see, giving is not something we have to do. Giving is something we get to do. Giving will always be an honor and a privilege to be able to share what God has given us with somebody else. And number five, generosity starts with the heart. I have a friend of mine who will often ask the question when he hears about a need, what can I do? How can I help? You see, he's been blessed to be a blessing. He's been given a whole lot and he wants to use what God has given him to further God's kingdom. It says about the gift of giving, if anybody has the gift of giving, let him contribute to the need of others, let him give generously. This church has a long history of being very generous. Many here give according to their ability and some give way beyond their ability. But the real test of a church is what do we do for people in their toughest times? What do we do for people when they face a crisis? What do we do for people when they have a fight with cancer or some debilitating debilitating disease? What do we do when their life is really headed south, when they're about to lose a loved one? There may be better churches, but I just don't know of one in terms of being generous to those people who are in great need. I do know for a fact that your giving to the Nehusen family met a huge need in their life, and they were so deeply blessed by all of you. Generosity starts in the heart. And it says in verse 5, if you're looking, that there was a movement of the heart. They did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then to us, in keeping with God's will. So I'd like to now do some drawing for you, except I don't have my easel. So if someone could pull my easel up. I know you're pretty excited about seeing my drawing. I would like to draw for you now a picture. Now, if you can't see this, I'll try to describe it to you, okay? It's not a very complex picture. So this would mark your birthplace, okay? All of you have a birthday. And then there comes a moment in our life, somewhere along the journey. For some of you, it's a process. For some of you, it's a moment in time when you encounter Jesus in the cross. This is known as our conversion. This moment, everything changes. If any man's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. Jesus said he came to bring, make all things new. And so if you've encountered Jesus in the cross, you know that it's nothing that you did, it's what he did for you when he took your place on a cross. He substituted himself. He became our savior. We put our faith in him. So there's a moment of the cross called our conversion. But there's also what I call little crosses, or second crosses, or let's use the word moments of sanctification when God begins to speak a word into us and we hear his voice very, very clearly. And you've had many of those in your journey, your Christian journey. So let me describe a few of mine to you. When I first became a believer, what God began to speak to me about was the area of purity, of being pure in heart. There were things that I was viewing. There were things that I was doing. And God began to change me from the inside out. My lifestyle began to change pretty dramatically as I moved into purity as God desired. Another one of those cross moments for me had to do with prejudice. I was raised in a family with a lot of prejudice. There was a lot of differential between the races, thinking we were better than others. And God began to break me down. And he began to show me my sin. And I began to get convicted about racism about treating people equally. So God began to speak to me about the area of prejudice. And then there was another one of poverty. And I spoke of that earlier about going down to Haiti and seeing children that are starving to death and just feeling moved in my spirit that we've got to do something. We've got to tackle this problem. This is an assignment that God's given us. Whenever I'm around poverty, God just does something to me of like, we can... We can address this. But here's one that will happen to you. It's the area of money. You will come to a place in your life when you'll realize it's not yours anymore. It's his. Every good gift you've ever received has come from his hand. He gives you the strength with which to work, right? He gives you opportunities to work, and God entrusts to you. You become a steward of what God has given to you. And when that begins to happen, what happens is you begin to think differently about money. It's not about me and keeping my money. It's about me being a good steward of my money, right? It's kind of like this. Money is sort of like neutral, but your money will always go where you send it, right? It'll always do what you tell it to do. Not like your dog if it doesn't always do what you want it to do or go where you want it to go. But your money will always do what you tell it to do. It'll always go where you want it to go. So there's money, and we're like this, we're either like a barrel or we're like a conduit, right? So for some of us, money becomes something we like to gather up and hold on to like this barrel, right? But what God's will for us is, is to become a conduit from the source of his ble- the source being God, and the blessing flowing through us and the blessing flowing out of us, right? So God blesses us to be a blessing. So that's the point of the conversion of our money, and then we die. That is include that. So there's your life, right? You're born, you die, you meet Jesus, and Jesus progressively transforms you, and one of those conversations he'll have with you, maybe you'll hear someone talk about it, or hear their testimony, or read something, And God begins to really change you in the area of money, which brings us to verse number nine. The greatest example to us in the area of doing God's will, the greatest example to us about money is Jesus himself. Look with me in chapter 8, verse 9. It says, I'm not commanding you, verse 8, right? I'm not trying to tell you what to do. I just want to test the sincerity of your love. By comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know the grace that God gave you when you encountered him. And here's one of the jewels of the New Testament. That though he was rich, God God is incredibly rich. Do you know how rich God is? Do you know how wealthy God is? God owns everything. The silver is his. The gold is his. The heavens declare the glory of God. God is the owner of all things. The source of all things. It says it this way. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, he became poor. What's he talking about? He's talking about the incarnation. The God who had everything became nothing. God became human, and he lived a very simple lifestyle. And then he went to the cross, and at the cross he was stripped down naked, (coughs) that we might be clothed with his righteousness. And then what happened is that we in his poverty became rich. Brothers and sisters, do you know how rich you are? I mean, turn to your neighbor and say, I am rich. Now, you may need to borrow some money for lunch. (laughs) I mean, you would never know it from my bank account. But you've been chosen in God. You've been loved of God. You've been forgiven by God. I mean, you are incredibly rich. God has poured out his riches into our life. There's a story, it's told about a Shah, and the Shah was over Iran, and he was a very, very wealthy man. He lived in a palace, and in this palace he could have whatever he wanted. He lived in the midst of wealth and prosperity, but he had a heart for the people, the poor people, the common people. So he decided that he would descend down from his throne and wear the clothes of a common man and make a friend of a working person. So he descended from his throne and he went down his steps into the basement of the palace. And there in the basement was a man they called a fireman because his job was to work with wood and with fire and put these little containers and they'd be taken all over the palace to keep people warm. He worked with the ashes and the soot and the filth in the basement. And the king put on the clothes of a poor man And descended down into that dark, damp cellar and came to the man in the basement. And the king and the fireman, they talked with each other. And at mealtime, what the fireman did was he took his coarse, dark bread and he said to the king, let's break bread together. And then he took his jug of water and he said, here, have something to drink. Now the man would open up his soul to the king and the king would impart his wisdom And they developed a very close relationship with one another. And day after day, the king came down the steps. And he spent time with the common man. And they developed a very close relationship. And the king said after a while, you know, I haven't been completely honest with you. Because I am the king. I've dressed as a poor man, but I am the king. He said, I can build for you a palace. I can buy for you a city. Just name whatever you want, and I can give it to you. Such was his wealth. The very poor fireman said, what I have cherished is your friendship. I don't want what you can give me out of your wealth. I only ask that you never withdraw your friendship from me. And you know, Jesus Christ will never withdraw his friendship to you, or his promises to you. So what does God specifically promise us about money? I'm glad you asked. God's will regarding money. Number one, God is the source of everything. We are the stewards, and we are not the owners. Here's a promise. My God will meet all your needs, my God is going to supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. God is able to make all grace abound towards you. When you understand that God is the source and when you are the conduit through which the blessings flow, you will see that God opens the windows of heaven and pours out these blessings to us. If we take care of God's business, he takes care of our business. Secondly, God and his gifts are meant for our enjoyment and contentment. First Timothy 6.18 God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. I was talking to somebody recently about how it's so hard for her to spend money, you know, to go have dinner. And I was talking about how how do you feel when you can buy for your kids something, you know, a pair of shoes? And she said, I feel joy. Well, I said, you know, God, when he provides us something, like a house to live in, or a comfortable bed to sleep in, or a car to drive with, or, you know, something we really enjoy, this is something that gives God joy, because God's the giver of that gift to us. Third, giving is essential to spiritual health. Jesus said it this way. Give, and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaking together. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. You cannot in a million years ever outgive God. You say, I don't believe you, Pastor Arne. So let me just try to give you one story to kind of show you this. There was a time in our life when we were very scrap for cash. We had two kids in college. The church was building on an addition. We had an amount of money set aside to give. We decided to double the amount to give when we didn't have it to give. It's one of those times when you can't afford to give but feel like you're called to give. So we stepped into that. Okay. Our son at that time was in his second year of college. He um, they, there was a professor at Harvard who went to my son's college, became a famous surgeon, and he set up what's known as the Sugar Baker Scholarship. That scholarship would be good for two years of college and two years of medical school. And my son said to me, Dad, should I apply for the scholarship? What would you say? I said, yes. Somehow, by the grace of God, Chris was given that scholarship that was worth a quarter of a million dollars. And I thought to myself, God, we just cannot outgive you because you always give more. You see, giving is essential to your spiritual health. You'll know things about God you don't know when you begin to give. And fourth, save money for a rainy day. Your grandma was right. Proverbs says it this way. In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. He spends everything he has. That's a word of correction, isn't it? The the Bible calls us foolish if we spend everything we have. Fifth, live with margin. Things are going to break. Your water heater may break. Your car may break. The compressor on the AC may break. A prudent man sees danger and takes refuge, but the simple keep on going and suffer for it. Number six, get yourself and stay out of debt. Debt is not your friend. Jesus is your friend. Debt is not your friend. The rich rule over the poor, Proverbs says, but the borrower is always a slave to the lender. And number seven, seek godly counsel. If you're going to do something like a big move, like buy a house, if you're going to like, take over a business, if you're going to buy a car, you want to speak to someone who's very wise on those matters, right? You want to seek after godly counsel. Plans fail for a lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. Would you like me to draw again? All right, we're going to wrap this thing up with another drawing. Actually, I'm not going to draw this one. Actually, Brenda drew this, drew, this, drew this for me. I know you're disappointed, but here we go. I want to talk to you now about the American plan, okay? The American plan. Now, some of you can't see this, so let me just talk to you about it. The American plan. There's three buckets, okay? Now, the most important decision you have to make about money is What are your buckets going to be, and what are you going to put in the bucket? What sequence will you put money in your bucket? So in America, in the first bucket, which is spending or lifestyle, the average American is spending 130% of their income. Now, those of you who are math majors go, Pastor R., that's not sustainable. If a nation spends more money than they have, or if an individual spends more money than they have, what happens? Okay, okay, this, this you guys know this. W- what happens when you spend more than you have? You go into debt. debt, you know it, right, okay. So the average person in America now has credit cards and the average balance on credit cards is five to 7,000. The average debt in America now is $130,000. So we're carrying a lot of debt. Somebody's making a lot of money off us because the interest they're charging us, right? So in this first bucket is spending, all right? Spending is out of control. We're spending money we don't have to buy things we don't need to impress people we don't even like. Why are we doing this? Why are we spending money we don't have? Well, Pastor, I just wanna live big. I wanna live large. Great, you're gonna be in debt. There's something better, I mean, something worse than driving an old, beat-up car, keeping it fixed. And that's to be having payments you can't make. You need to wear it out, right? Fix it up, see it live as long as it can live. So the spending is what's killing us as a nation and individuals. So from there, savings, right? Savings. So if we haven't spent it all, what happens is we put a little bit into savings, right? Maybe 4 to 5%. Some of that sort of matching plans at work, but only 4 or 5% is going into savings and investment. We're not thinking about our futures. We're consuming it all up with what we spend. And then, if the pitch is good enough... <laughs> You know, or if we feel a little guilty, like I went somewhere, man, you know, I just felt so guilty. I had to give something. Our giving for the last 40 years as a nation has been around 2%, 3%. So if you look at the equation, America's plan, which is a disaster, right, is overspend, undersave, and give just a little bit. Do you want to know God's plan? you want to hear it come on now you weren't real enthusiastic about hearing god's plan because you're so depressed about the american plan right like i hate this plan like it's the american dream but it's like sinking us all we all find ourselves you know swimming in debt and flying backwards and everything else that happens with debt the pressure of debt let me just say before i go to god's plan i've been a pastor now for you know 35 years and i have seen families decimated over the area of money. I cannot tell you how many divorces are over the pressure of money, overspending, big-time debt. You will make my heart happy if you'll just begin to step into God's plan. Just Maybe for some of you it's progressive, but just kind of move in this direction because this is the pathway to peace. I want you to have peace and prosperity and freedom. I don't want you to be carrying this heavy thing on your shoulders, okay? So you ask for it, here it comes. God's plan. It's different than the American plan. Gonna, you, you may not recognize this plan, but here we go. God has a plan for you, and the plan includes making him first. The first bucket that you drop into is into God's bucket. He says, Bring me the first fruits. Honor God with your wealth. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Abraham, before the tithe, gave 10%. Jesus, speaking to the Pharisees, said, You should have done that, given generously like that. The benchmark really is 10%. When we first began to give, we gave 10%. Some of you say, We can't do that. I say, what kind of faith has God given you? Is he giving you faith to trust him for 2% or 3%? Then by faith, step into how God is leading you, right? The first is giving. The second is saving. You've got to think about your future. What will this life be like if you never save anything? Your kids someday are going to want to go to college. Someday you won't be able to work anymore, you need to retire, right? You need to save some money. So pay God first and pay yourself second. Honor yourself with the work you do and save up some money. Now I said earlier that automated giving, right? We don't have to think about this. The first part goes to God, the second part goes into savings and investment. And then with the remainder, remainder, that's your lifestyle, that's what you got to spend you see. This is reordering your world according to God's plan and the only path to peace. How many want to ditch out the American plan and want to go toward God's plan? It is the better way. Some of you don't believe me. It is the better way. You know, I don't stress about money. I don't owe anybody any money. Money, to me, is a gift from God, taking care of our family, but also being generous with. And God can take you down a pathway, very different than the pathway you're in, into his peace. Father, you're a good God and you have good plans for us. Your plans are so very different than the consumerism and materialism and indulgence of the American plan. You are so good to us, Lord, to be generous and open up the windows of heaven and pour out so many blessings into our life. God, help us not to squander them. Help us not to dissipate them unwisely. Help us not to consume everything on ourselves. God, when we give to you and we give to ourselves by saving, and then we live with the rest, there's a real great sense of peace you give. And I long for that peace for each person who's here. I pray, Lord, for the power of the Holy Spirit to empower us to step out by faith and to step into your plan. God, I would pray that you might supply needs. Some here don't know how the bills will come together this month. There's pressure on them from debt. So I pray, Lord, for your mercy and your provision. Would you supply exactly what they need? Would you show yourself to be a God who hears the cries of our hearts and then comes to us through people who are generous to us? May we live our lives here, Lord, as the body of Christ, caring about each other, stepping in each other's needs, especially in the hard times to love somebody with the generosity you have shown to us. This is our prayer, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you uh, stand with us as we sing our last night?